Welcome everyone back to the Sandal Lanch. This week we are finishing off White Sand, the Omnibus Edition, chapters 16 to 18, plus the tiny little epilogue that was tacked on the end. In these chapters, they get raided by pirates, Arik saves them all by becoming a warrior, they find the Lord General who has been brutally killed, and so Arik takes on his mantle, begrudgingly. Everything builds up to Kenton's duel with Dryl. Kenton eventually wins, having gained five ribbons, and as and then they go to the vote, and the vote is made to keep the DM. They catch Shar they catch Sharazan, who was actually the the two IC for Ace, and and then it winds up with Chris going back to Darkseid with some Sandmasters in tow. Everything looks, if not perfect, then at least okay for everyone, except possibly Eric. I'm Dak, and with me this week is Jamie, Data, and Joe. So hang on to something, everyone. The Sand Lanch is about to begin. Rusted right up on the golden shine. Visions of the ancient divine. Far beyond the brittle bounds of time. Power in the voice of family. Trials of competence and agony. Master and already So yeah, final three chapters, end of this book, and uh, we start out, as as mentioned at the end of the last episode, with yet another assassin attack. Though, is, is this the last assassin attack of the book? I don't recall. What do, you, what, what do you guys think of these three final chapters? Yeah, these were all right. These were these were probably the, like the most satisfying ending we could have gotten to this book. I do think, now, now that we've finished it, I think it's like, I don't know if it's, it's a case of whether, like, because you, you said this was originally written, and Brand said, oh, the story didn't work, and he put it to the side, and then he offered it to the people who said, hey, we want to make a comic out of something you've written. So it wasn't designed with a comic in mind, and now I'm just like, okay, I think I can sort of see, I don't know, the pacing of this one, the way some of the chapters end or start, just hasn't really gelled, and I think that's that's sort of come off in the end. This has been a fine story, but I think, um, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was as suited to the medium as it ended up coming off but whether that was because of how brandon wrote it or how it was translated to comics by other people but but yeah the end but the ending was fine for what it was there was quite a bit i actually went up calling which i'm happy with especially the mm-hmm. Eric story even though i still don't quite get Eric's whole thing i still don't get that whole bit earlier where he was talking in the mirror and how that fits into where this ends up here the end of the sharazan story i thought oh okay it's that guy sure yeah we met him um, one time, sure. Yeah. The duel with Dryle was, was really good. I liked how that one all ended up. And I was I was very happy with the end of that one. And even and with the end of the traitor in the DM story. Should have seen that one coming. You you um, did I, actually. Yeah, you you called that out as a possibility. I did? Yeah, yeah. the, the I mean, moment I mean, yes, Elrond I, I totally did. <laughs> when Elrond came back into the story, you're like, here's another named character that it could be and that might actually be, you know, some evidence pointing to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it it all it all worked out at the end. I just think that it wasn't quite the most powerful ending, but also it wasn't really the most powerful story, I guess. I'm not saying I disliked it, but I think in terms of what else we've read, this is this is probably on the lower end, I think, for me. Mm, sure. Well, and I, I will say I have some of the same issues that you do with the story, and I I didn't say this before now because I didn't want to you know influence you guys unduly before you were done reading it, but. It it has always struck me really strongly that this is this is a world like Brandon, you know, he's like big on the world building and this is a world that feels like it's really deep, but that it feels like we rush through the 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 world building and the story less now that Chris has these uh, extra pages in explaining some of the world stuff. But the comic, it just feels like a Brandon story, but that was rushed to fit into a comic to me. And yeah, yeah, agreed. The same thing actually happens with the one other comic that he's done, which was not a story that I'd read beforehand because it was first published as a comic. Uh, and it's not Cosmere. It's called The Dark One. And it feels like there's all of this indicating this is a really deep, really fascinating world. And we just blow past all of it because we have to hurry up and try to get this story into a graphic novel. Right. Glad to glad to hear that maybe I'm not the only one who uh, felt that it, it this maybe wasn't the optimal uh, telling of the story. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just needed like another pass by the editors or something. Yeah, I I 
pretty much agree with what Dak said there. This was my first graphic novel, so it was a new thing for me anyway. I think it would take more practice for me to read something like this. I don't instinctively look at the art, which I found that was really difficult to make sure that I was trying to take that in just because I'm I'm just not used to it. Yeah, it's definitely not Brandon's strongest work. I feel like there are so many other stories that we've read that I think would have translated really nicely to a graphic novel. I kind mm. of felt like of all the worlds that we've sort of already looked at, and I know there's a lot that we haven't touched yet really, but like I feel a perfect state, for example, would transfer like transfer to this medium really well. That's just my opinion, having no other frame of reference than this story. I just think it's interesting that this is the one that, and we know why. It was like, here's this story that didn't really work. Give that a go. But Mm -hmm. I think there are other things that I'd probably like to see try. I just felt like it's just, there's just sand everywhere. It's just sandy. (laughs) And like visually, I don't know what I was looking for visually, but it was just so much sand. Um, <laughs> that sounds really shallow of me, but <laughs> there you go. I, yeah, and like the story, it was it was fine. It's not a bad story. It just, coming back to what we were talking about in the last episode and, and previously that I've mentioned that I, like, I'm expecting a really big story from Brandon and I feel a little like I would have liked another challenge at the end. And I think that the, the high judge and then transferring her vote to Ace because she was biased. I actually liked how that happened, but I almost feel like there wasn't quite enough of a challenge at the end, even though it it feels like he did work really hard to get everyone's opinions changed and then to get the unanimous unanimous vote. And that's awesome. That's what he was working towards. It would have felt a bit flat if he didn't get the vote. Mm. And then you'd have so many questions about what was happening next. I think I liked that he got the vote. I liked that how Ace's interaction came into it. I think I was looking for a bit more of, betrayal like we were talking about yesterday and I was really hinging on that being Arik and so I was a little bit disappointed when Arik cast his vote and he was like yes I was like what what <laughs> why are you supporting your friend now I just I, you you're too nice you've just now how dare you support sad. your friend <laughs> <laughs> it's just sad that you're going to be miserable I really felt for him yeah I think I had another point oh the Sharazan stuff yeah I wouldn't have picked that I was thinking it was someone we'd actually been interacting with. And again, the whole betrayal thing, I guess like Ace was betrayed, but we didn't know this guy enough to really be able to come up with that, I think, on yeah. our own. And I like I like the fight with Drial. I think, you know, Jack called it with uh, they're gonna they're gonna do this together and I like that he's sort of of the opinion that I don't want it this way, but I can see how you're here and I guess I'll go with it. Like we'll make this work together. So Drial, that is. And secret bad guy. Yeah, Dak called it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about him. <laughs> it was I don't feel I don't feel dissatisfied with the ending. I just I don't know what I was looking for out of it. Yeah, I we especially given some of the cool theories that we came up with just in the last episode, I can see how it would be kind of a letdown that those didn't come true. Even even Dak's continuing theory that uh, Deeran was going to secretly be a bad guy didn't pan out and I was like, "Oh, he'll be yeah. disappointed." Yeah, <laughs> uh, it happens though. Like, I think I said this during Lost Metal. It's like it's 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 hard dealing with the disappointment when you have a theory and it just doesn't pan out because it's like, oh, well, that's an expectation I built up myself. Mm-hmm. Like that's not that's not the fault of Brandon or the story. True. That's just that's, that's my own head doing that. True, true. Yeah, I think I agree with pretty much what Jack, Dak and Jamie have both said. I, I did find the ending satisfying. And I think just by virtue of the fact that I've read a good amount of, of graphic novels and comics, especially more modern ones where the stories don't actually like completely make sense or line up exactly. I wasn't surprised that some of the stuff went on kind of said, I think the, if, if I were to be nitpicky and pick one aspect that uh, I didn't enjoy uh, in the ending, it would be what, Dak and Jamie, I think I both said it's like the the Eric stuff was really kind of unsatisfying conclusion wise. Like, yeah, I think I like it better that he didn't, you know, betray his friend. But at the same time, it's like literally Kenton says it's like Eric's given up on himself. And that's how we end the story. Eric gave up on himself. And so that's that's kind of disheartening. The fact that Bayon can somehow 
use sand mastery in some way. Pretty cool. And maybe the other most unsatisfying thing is like, I want another graphic novel, but I want it to be about dark side. So that's one thing that I was disappointed in too. It's like, we don't actually ever get to see the other side, which I know that's like, it's a fish out of water story with, with Chris, like she's supposed, you're supposed to kind of be experiencing this side with her. So to go back to somewhere where she's very comfortable would be, you know, wouldn't fit with this story very well. You would have to do a different story for that to work, I think. But still, it would be cool to see. But yeah, I mean, I, I didn't dislike this book. I certainly think that there are other Brandon stories that we've read that I have enjoyed more, for sure. That being said, the Sandmaster stuff is pretty interesting. The world building stuff is pretty interesting. And then, but like you said, Data, it's like because of the limited availability of what you could do with a graphic novel because there's not a lot of prose or descriptive stuff that can go in there it it does kind of do the story a disservice i think honestly the best parts of the story were the added omnibus pages mm-hmm. with uh with the extra explanation of things those were really awesome mm-hmm. you know i could have read you know if they did like a big long epilogue where it was just chris's journal i could have read all of that and been very satisfied with that i think but uh, but no, I mean, overall, I think I, I enjoyed what we read for sure. And I will say that there Brandon has mentioned a couple times that he's looking at potentially doing a sequel graphic novel that would take place on Dark Sides. So. Oh, good. OK. Although you, you just reminded me, I forgot when Jamie was talking that uh, Jamie, you were like, there's other stories that would have, uh, I think, made a better graphic novel. And before you even said it, my first thought was probably Perfect State, right? Like, doesn't that feel like a graphic novel? Mm hmm. Yeah. I feel like it would be really pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Like it could look really visually like stunning. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think perfect state would be a good choice for that. And I think like the tone of it could be very like Batman. Cause you know, Batman comics have a lot of inner monologue, which Mm. is what we have in, in, in that. So it could be like, you could have giant text boxes on each page that I don't feel like that would be, I don't feel like that wouldn't work for the story, you know? Mm. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I guess let's uh, let's get into these things. These things. Let's get into these chapters. That's a thing. Chapter 16 is called The Cruel Potentials, which is a very dramatic title, I feel like. And we just start out with, and we're being boarded. Of course we are, because why would things go smoothly now? And so we've got like Christian pirates attacking. And what I noticed when doing the little bit of comparison this time was that there's a lot of little dialogue bit changes just for example in this section in the original book kenton is a lot harder on himself for what an idiot i am for having put left myself without sand mastery and he just like all of his text is about like being down on himself about that so it's a little uh more interesting in this version i think but anyway they're well, attacked by- cut it and was like i thought i'd be safe on the sea yeah <laughs> yeah it's like yeah okay this seems like a reasonable assumption you've got a pretty good visibility of who's coming after you I guess it didn't help. <laughs> no. <laughs> and apparently, like, nobody else is fighting. Everyone else is hiding behind stuff while Kenton tries to fight all of the assassins on his own. And Vay's over here like, why isn't he using his powers? Also, doesn't this ship have a crew? <laughs> uh, it you, looked, no, they're getting slaughtered. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of them dying around. In, like, the, the very second panel uh, of the chapter, like, you just see one of them getting hit with an arrow. Or not even arrow. It's like a harpoon. There's a rope attached to it. Yeah. And then a bunch of other ones, like, on the ground with arrows in them. Well, yeah, but, you know, if Master Commander told me anything, is that ships have a decent-sized crew. Hmm. I, did, I didn't see that, so. Really? Oh, man. Excellent. It's, uh, yeah, it's quite a film. And so he's like, okay, I'm, Ken's like, okay, I'm going to die out here, I guess. And this is when Eric is, like, badass warrior guy and comes out and is just, like, slaughtering all of them. One of, one of these assassins is, like, Wolverine claws and... Ken comes up and slices them with his sword. He just starts taking them all out. It's great. And uh, Kenton is like, this this man, this is Eric, the tower-trained warrior. Although this is, this is another small change from the original. The original, when I looked at it, it's like, this is Eric, the predator. <laughs> he just pulls out, like, the three-dotted laser pointer and the cannon. Hey, I, yeah, I, I, I'd read it. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up. And then... So they, they take them all out. They free Bayon and Ace, who were trapped below decks, which was that was some luck that the two warriors were not up here with Kenton at the time. And there's a brief argument between Delius and Ace, because if you recall, the the religion, uh, the Korean religion says that they need to be buried in deep sand or their souls will wander or something like that. 
And he's like, no, they're, they're assassins. Let's dump them overboard and keep going. But Kenton's like, no, no, let's we'll, we'll put them on the, the other boat and just tow it behind us. It's fine. Not that big a deal. Which leads to a, a panel that was cut out from the original, which may be my favorite cut, uh, like my favorite thing that got cut, where as Ace is sitting here thinking about like, you know, Kenton like, respected my religion and blah, blah, blah. And she's like putting the bodies on the boat with a with Bayon. In the original one, there's a a panel of Delius just like walking away while they're doing that. And he's like, ah, geez, whatever. Man, I need to start drinking again. <laughs> ah, Delius. Yeah, she Ace is kind of intrigued by Eric here. And she remembers like he saved her life. And this is a guy who can fight without giving into the rage inside. But maybe, you know, maybe he's maybe he changed. Can't. Yeah, exactly. That's... And then Kenton gets his powers back. And now he has five ribbons. So I guess it increases by two every time is what I'm getting from this. Yeah. And so this is another part that, like, I don't understand if he's correct or not. And it's never specifically addressed. So I guess we're just supposed to take it as true. It's like he's saying that if you overmaster, like, this was a secret that they had, that they actually knew if you overmastered, you could get stronger and have more ribbons. But, like, is that actually true, or is there something else going on? It's never addressed, so I was kind of confused. That's a good point, yeah. In in the prose version, it's actually, I think, made pretty explicit that there's actually a big jump between, like, the number of ribbons that, like, the next lowest rank, I guess an undermaestral is the second rank. There's a big jump between how many an undermaestral under can control and how many, like, the maestrals control. The maestrals tend to have way, way more, and so it's established somehow or maybe maybe it's a kenton assumption i don't even remember now but it's made clear that like this was a secret that the maestrals were keeping to themselves so that only the the most powerful of them of the sandmasters would get even more power and be like unassailable and so of uh, only dryle uh, survived of people who knew that this secret existed in the first place but you're right it's not really clear here it's just kenton kind of making a guess at it he's like oh yeah i guess they knew uh okay so uh, Kenton's like, I mean, he's Dryle still has 25 and I have five. So there's still not much of a contest happening here, but whatever. Turns out Bayon's also a, a man who knows how to sail. He's a, he's a jack of many trades here. And uh, after all the sailors were slaughtered, he helped get them back where they were going. And then the, and then they're like, hey, we need to go find the Lord General. And they try to get Ace to help. And Ace is like, uh, no, I'm here to protect you. Like, it's not my job to be doing anything else. And Chris has to have Kenton translate like, uh, isn't it your job to like protect people and maybe the Lord General missing is kind of a big deal and should take precedence over a bodyguard duty? And Ace is like, oh, no, yeah, she has a point. Like, I'll listen to her. She's got a little smirk I on her face when she does that. Yep. Yeah. And I I kind of maybe I'm reading way more into the panel than I should. I kind of took that smirk as like, OK, you made an argument that allows me to do to help you, which I did want to do. But, you know, I didn't. I didn't think it was okay for me to do, but now that you said that, like, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm helping you by helping someone else rather than actually having to help you. Right. Exactly. And so they go to the tower and Kenton's like, Hey, big head, how are you? He's like, dude, come on, please. And this is also all completely added from the previous version. I don't know why they chose to include this guy and give him his dumb nickname. Uh, I mean, he was in there. He just, he, they just didn't have this conversation like they knew each other already. It was just like, hey, we're here hey, to see the Lord head. General. It's got to be one of Brandon's friends or something that he calls Big Head. Or all right, that's probably true. Got to be yeah. a reference. Yeah. yeah. I also I like I like how this guy's bullshitting them. It's just like, oh no, he's with Lord Vay. It's like, no, bro, we just we brought Vay back. He's not with him. Oh yeah, we lied about that. <laughs> yeah, he is unashamed <laughs> of that when they get caught. You caught me. Oh well. We didn't want the tracks tracts involved, which I feel like Ace should be like, well, that was dumb. But she's just uh, <laughs> you idiot. Uh, and really, it, it does seem dumb because like in like five seconds of investigating as she's a professional investigator, she discovers all of these signs and figures out where he is. Right? Yeah. Like maybe you would have found him while he was still alive if you had brought someone in to investigate. But uh, yeah, it turns out that the Lord General was or at least she's extrapolating that the Lord General was working for or with Sherzan. He was the one limping into the building that day when uh, they got caught in the explosion. 
And so when Shirazan figured out that he was going to betray him, Shirazan took him. He they, they took him down to this basement where no one would hear his screams, gave him this drug that makes you have like crazy paranoid delusions or something. And then they uh, cut off his eyelids so he couldn't close his eyes to hide from the horrors that he, his mind conjured as the candle burned out. How horrific. Right? Ugh. And then, uh, yeah, standing right there next to his dad's dead body, Kenton's like, Eric, uh, bro, I, I hate to ask you, but uh, would, <laughs> you, uh, would you become Lord General and vote for me? And Eric's just like, dude, don't ask me. Don't. Don't do it. Don't. <laughs> dude, but timing. I, I have to. And he asks him and Eric's like, yes, I will. And see, this is the bit where I thought he was going to be like, like, I'll do it. But this is my snapping point, which was yeah. obviously his snapping point anyway. I just didn't expect him to still be supportive. To snap quietly and not make a big uh, stink. Yeah. Mm. And that was the end of chapter 16, which it ends on a very grisly image of like the dead dad looking at the two of them while they're having this discussion. Yeah. <laughs> Would you mind covering me up before you have this conversation? Pick me up before you go, go. <laughs> uh, 17 is the impossible choice. And Kenton recognizes what he's done to Eric. He's like, I feel bad, but also like I am the Lord Maestral. I have to do whatever can I can do to save my profession and the people who look to me for leadership. And he's just like, man, no one ever told me that being a leader suck this hard. And Chris is like, yeah, I mean, you know, it, leadership is a burden. And also in these chapters, the the, the mysterious face in the background uh, continues to show up frequently. So you may have picked up on that this time after we talked about it last time. I, I have a question here. Why are they yeah. on a boat? Uh, Did they already come back to Kazar? Why are they boating anywhere? They did. But if you recall, the city is in the center of like a, it's like an island. The river splits around it. And the DM is actually on one of the shores, on like, uh, not on the island itself, but on a shore across the river. Right. OK. I don't think that it's really come up before. We haven't seen them boating back and forth, but that is, in fact, why they mm. are on the passage to the DM. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, because and that also allows them to be separated from the rest of everybody. It's like, yeah, yeah the DM's over here separated from the rest of these people so that we can be off and do our own thing and not be disturbed, I guess. And the time you actually it, it really comes up like when Kenton first leads them to the thing, he puts them on a boat across the river to the city. And he's like, I got to go do my own thing because he's already on the shore where the DM is. Yeah. OK, that that makes sense. I, you're, you're right. I don't think we've seen them boating around yeah. the city. So I completely forgot that it was actually like not not all the city is on this one island. And then we jump to the Hall of Judgment where Tracked Ace is reporting to. And it's just the the page where it's like Hall of Judgment and there's the beginning. It's very Justice League sort of thing. <laughs> I feel like, although the the weird shaped building with the spikes all around actually makes me think of like a He-Man Eternia thing with Castle Grayskull or something, or uh, whatever Skeletor's place is called. I don't remember. Yeah. And so she comes to report on what's been going on, and uh, the Lord Judge or the High what whatever the, she's like, hey, I'll I'll send a, a team to investigate poor Lord Regent's death. Fully. You don't need to worry about that anymore. You go do what you're supposed to be doing. And in the hallway, Ace runs into what's his stupid Tane. That's Tane. We we met him like one time. We, we we met him twice, but he only got a name the second time mm. that we met him, which is it, oh, it's Tane. actually kind of funny. You got the first time we met him was the same episode or was an episode where we were talking about who could the the you know shares on really be if it's not Nilto. Well, that was when we first met Ace, I think. Well, no, we definitely did talk about it then, but I was I was going to say because Tane shows up but is not named. And in that same episode, as we were having that discussion, I was like, well, yeah. And if he's somebody that uh, I mean, it would have to be a named character, right? It's somebody whose name that we know. As well played. Team. Yeah. So and then it wasn't until the next episode that we found out his name. I was like, ah, I wonder if that was well happen. played, clerks. Yeah, that's not fair. You shouldn't say stuff like that. But uh, so he meets her in the hall. He's like, hey, we found Sherazan. We're going to go get him right now. And like, we're in instant red flag. <laughs> we're in such a hurry that I loaded your gut, your Zinkel and dart gun thing for you. Here you go. Yeah. When he said that, I was like, mm, no, 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 no. Why was she already just wearing one anyway? Uh, yeah. It's like, he's like, oh, yeah, we found the bad guy. I've loaded your weapon. I'm just like, OK, 
didn't think he was going to be Sharazar, but I was like, instantly, I was like, well, you're in league with him. But I was like, yeah. I did not expect him to actually be Sharazar, because I was like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah, I I wonder if maybe she's not allowed to take like weapons into the like the high the high judge's chambers or something. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that's a fair point. So he takes her to this place, and it's like just the two of them too. It's you would have more guys if you were going. I'm just you know, he says he organized the raid himself, and so I guess they're supposed to be meeting more guys from her perspective. But they just stroll into this warehouse on their own, and. uh it's a raid. Let's walk in the front door casually. Yep. And she sees a guy and she's like, Kane, we've been betrayed. And he's like, yes, you have. As he points his weapon at the back of her head. And like, she's like, you sold yourself to them? And he's like, no, actually. He doesn't expound on that. She's like, no. And she's like, then, but you're Sherazan. Yep. What better cover for a criminal than as a tract? Well, I guess as the high judge would have been a better cover, but that wasn't available to him. So not yet. And so, yeah, he's like, yep, I just kept feeding you fake evidence to make you think that Nilto was behind it. And eventually I was going to let him take the fall. But you just moved too fast. You have slowly chipped away at my empire. And now I barely have anything left. And then she's like, and now it's all it's nothing at all. Fire. Oh, it's like, yeah. Did you really think I was going to give you a loaded weapon when pay attention, dude? <laughs> I like uh, I like this. Uh, I like the onomatopoeia there, too. It's like, poof. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> And then, for some reason, instead of killing her, he's like, I'm going to give you a moral dilemma that you have to face. That'll be way better than killing you. Very Joker. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a real Joker move in, like, a not-Joker situation. It so is. He's like, so, I've put a bomb in an orphanage, the one that you were raised in, in fact. Orphans make such heart-wrenching victims, so innocent, yet no one to mourn them. Ugh. This guy's that's, a real dick. That's, that's messed up. It's like, but at the same time as that, someone's going to be going to murder your family. So who are you going to save? Duty Go or family? Ghostbusters? Like, like, I have this one <laughs> this one scene to be as evil as possible, and by God, I'll make it count. <laughs> yeah, he, he really does. And so, yeah, they, they send her out. They apparently don't anticipate the thing that she would clearly do, which is find the first other cop that she could find and be like, okay, you go to one of the places, you go save the orphanage. I'm going to go save my family. Yeah. I wonder if like, to me in my brain, I thought, oh, that cop she's going to meet is also in on it. Like all the tracks mm. are in on it, except her. Mm. That would have been wild, but that wasn't that the been case. awful because really she shows up. Okay. So she shows up and Kenton has gotten there just before her and managed to save her family from this assassin as he calls him. But she shows up like at the moment that Kenton is throwing him through a wall. So if Kenton hadn't been there, he might have had time to kill her family. He would not have had time to get away afterward. So I, I he, he didn't make the best plan is what I'm saying. But yeah, Kenton and I, I kind of skipped over it. But Bayon or somebody made a good point that it's like if someone's trying to stop the DM from winning, then uh, and killing you is not being successful. Maybe they'll try to kill the people supporting you, so maybe you should. So as a result of that discussion, Kenton came to Ace's house to make sure that they that she was okay. And he shows up just in time to stop this guy from killing her family. And she's like, oh yeah, that's that's Sherazan. He's like, what, that crime boss you told me about? Sweet, I'll snap his neck. And she goes, no, no, no. <laughs> I love, I love like the swift justice mentality. It's like, oh, cool, I'll kill him. Wait, no, don't do that. Also... I mean, if there's one way to ingratiate yourself to somebody who doesn't like you, saving their family is probably pretty high on the list. I think Joe may have called that initially. Somebody did when she was like, you might even save my life, but it's not going to be enough to make me like you. And somebody was like, yeah, but maybe he'll save your family or something. That was even before we met her family, I think. So another good prediction that someone made. Woo! <laughs> and so, uh, you know, she she goes and finds her family and she's like, it's, it's OK, mommy's here now. And her husband's like, oh, man, Sandlord, be thanked. Your friend arrived in time. And she's like, my friend, how could my husband misunderstand me that much? Or maybe he understands better than I do. I just like the whole, like, he's asking, oh, are you all right? And it's like, we're fine. We're just, we're just a bit bruised. I'm like, dude had a sword. How did he fuck up that bad? <laughs> well, they seem, the, the, the room got a bit beat up. And maybe it was even Kenton's, mm. like, exploding a guy through the wall. So that knocked them over or something. I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah, or maybe uh, maybe when he showed up, he like kicked the door in and like they fell over or something. Yeah, okay. Or you know maybe maybe he's just sadistic and he wanted to kick him around a little bit before he killed him. Sure. Well, I feel like I feel like that's kind of a dumb move when he's just like, oh, you have to pick one. She could rock up at any minute, which she in fact did. Yeah, no, good call. Really, you should have just planted a bomb here. Also, <laughs> there's no reason you needed to show yeah. up. Yeah, this guy's a real short-sighted fucker. He could have escaped easily. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he did say his empire is destroyed. That's true. So he's yeah. going to have to rebuild. So maybe it was more of like a personal thing. Like, oh, no, I'm going to do this personally. This time it's personal. See, that's... I, have, I have used up my stock of bombs. I have exactly one bomb left. <laughs> orphans or family. Orphans or family. Well, it'll probably take me a while to kill a bunch of orphans with bare hands. So I'll probably use the bomb on them. I could kill two people pretty quickly, though. Yeah, oh I'm not Anakin Skywalker. It'll take me a long time. Yeah, I can't like a bunch blaster of blaster rays. Yeah, I mean, come on. Who am I? Oh, gosh. Uh, but... I don't have the power of the force. <laughs> this is. I can't even open a door with my mind. I've tried. It's you know, always... When I go to the grocery store and the automatic doors <laughs> open, I always act like I'm opening them with my mind, but I'm not actually doing it. It's just a sensor. Some, sometimes I do it, they just stay closed out of spite. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 always a mistake when villains make make it personal. Yeah, it's you true. Gotta be, you got to be smart and detached. Yeah, like Mor- Moriarty. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, Moriarty died when he made things personal, so it didn't go well for him either. But that's true. You don't make it personal. But yeah. Anyways, we uh, we cut to the next day, Hall of Judgment, where there's a carriage waiting for uh for the high judge, and Ace shows up, and she's like, hey. I'm going to have to resign. And the judge is like, no, that's disappointing. But, uh, you know, whatever. She's, she says, and this is actually new to her. She's like, you'll have to face your problems someday. And Ace is like, well, I'll face them, but not here. So Ace has uh, decided she's got to go on a trip and uh, find what she really needs or who she really should be. And so the judge is like, all right, well, if that's what you want. But I'm going to have to have you be a track for one more day and uh, come with me to this duel, please. Which, in hindsight, after we find out what she has planned, that makes a lot of sense. She's like, no, I've set this whole thing up for two weeks. You you need to be here at this part of it. It'd be an awkward if that didn't go off as planned. <laughs> right? No, She's like, oh, lady, I I'm can't stay in. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I can't stay impartial anymore. Oh, boy. And we cut to the the dueling pit, and the audience is rather large. And Chris is like, wow, this is the largest crowd I've seen on Dayside. And he's like, yeah, you know, pe- people, the Sandmasters haven't fought one another for centuries, so this is a, a sight to see. And we do a quick count. All of the Taisha are here. The, the new Lord Admiral's here. The new Lord General's here. Eric's red Lord General uniform is really stands out against these other uniforms, I feel like. Nobody's quite that bright. I like his outfit. It looks cool. Yeah. Definitely makes a statement. Yeah. Sure, you know, he's the Lord, Ad- he's the Lord General. If he bleeds, you're not going to be able to see it. He's wearing red. It's true. Boris Brown pants. Yep. Um, and then it's time for the fight. And just like uh, before, when they had the, the promotion ceremony, they have uh, their ceremonial drinking of the water, and the water is served out by Ellerin once again. Convenient. Is, yep, if you look back at the uh, at the first chapter, or the first book or whatever, it is Ellerin serving out the water to everybody, so... And then it's time for the fight. And Kenton really tries with his five ribbons, but it's no match for Dryle's 25 ribbons. And Dryle's kind of just messing with him. Like, he's knocking him around, messing with him, but he's not going for the kill. He wants to to draw it out a bit. I like the way they sort of color-coded the ribbons so you can tell whose is whose. Dryle's are much darker. That's true. That was cool. It is helpful. And actually, in the original version, they don't make it, uh, they don't make it, him say like oh he's toying with me and all this stuff so i guess it's uh they added this in because they're like oh well he really shouldn't be lasting as long in this fight as he probably does and kenton also discovers that he's draining himself of water a lot faster with five which we know that that makes sense but we also find out later that it's even faster than it should be and there's a reason for that and in this version they've also changed the text so that it focuses more on like draws like we've been fighting for the same thing but you're too much like your father you won't listen in the original version, Dryle's just, like, talking shit the whole time. He's like, you are always outclassed, Kenton. You were outclassed from the moment you walked into this pit. So we end chapter 17 with 
it looks like Kenton's about to die. And we begin chapter 18, Time Like Sand, mm. with a flashback of Kenton interacting with his dad. Oh, is this a flashback? I thought it was like a Harry Potter train station <laughs> moment. That's I was, what yeah, I thought, confused. too. I, I, I think it is because he says, like, my dad never encouraged me like oh, this. Oh, yeah, you're right. He says, what's this, a dream? So, yeah, it's not yeah. really a flashback. I was I was misled by the uh, the sapia tone, and I wasn't paying close enough attention, I guess. <laughs> this, dad, dad being supportive? Well, this never happened. Or actually, I think what actually misleads me is in the original version, which I have in my hand, it is a flashback. He oh, says, interesting. He says oh. it starts out with where this one says, what's this, a dream? In the original, it says, I grew up picking fights. And it's showing like him uh, arguing okay. with his, with with mm. a with somebody else. If, I don't remember I if gotcha. it's his dad or whatever. Yeah. In, in reality, he's like, I must be dehydrated if my dad's encouraging me. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> but then Kenton remembers what he spent his whole life telling people. And uh, it's he can do with one ribbon more than a maestro can do with all of their dozens of ribbons. And so he's like, I don't need five ribbons. I don't, I don't, I don't need 25. I don't need five. I just need one. And there's also a weird change here because El- Ellerin in this version says, what's this? Kenton should be dead, which I guess is like foreshadowing that he's the bad guy. He's been trying to kill Kenton in the, in, in the original version. It says he's doing it. He's fighting back. Maybe, maybe this does make more sense since we know he's, he, he is trying to kill both of them at this point. So yeah, but like you take what you can get. If one of them, like as long as one of them dies, you're halfway there. Exactly, yeah. And so uh, yeah, Kenton uses his one ribbon to just, like, take out Dryle's ribbons, just zipping around, just like that game of Zokin earlier at the, at the beginning of the book. And he's like, I can, one ribbon uses so little water that I can keep going all day, and Dryle's going to dry out fast with 25 ribbons. And then Dryle goes for overburning, like Kenton's dad did at the beginning of the book. And in the original version, they don't actually have a name for this. It's like, oh, this is that thing that my dad did that one time. But uh, Kenton goes in and he stops him by giving him a hug. Hugs solve all problems is what we're learning. Although now that I look at it in the original version, this is also different. Like in this one, Kenton goes in and grabs him. In the original one, he just falls down. That whatever Ellerin did meant he couldn't over. No, that's not right, because Praxton still did it without a problem. Yeah, I don't. That's confusing. This is very different, actually. Like, so the panel where he falls over, Kenton is grabbing him in this one. Kenton's not in it in the original. And then the next panel after that is in the new version is Kenton, like, kneeling next to him, like, hey, let's get you some water. In the original version, it's zoomed out more, like they've zoomed in on this. And Kenton is standing for uh, a ways away. And he's like, Dryl, what happened? What did you do? And where this one where this one says, how did you stop my overburn? In the original, it's like, kill me. I'm weak. Kill me. So weird. Okay, I didn't even notice that. This guy's a real drama queen. (laughs) And in in the original one, Kenton goes, no, no Sandmasters die on my watch. Not today. Uh Not ever. Wow. I thought I thought it was dramatic. dramatic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're a band of brothers. You don't understand. How how dare you try to over drama me? Yeah. This one biggest drama queen of them all. The new one is definitely more thematically appropriate where he's like, hey, like you said, we've been trying to work for the same thing. Let's do this together. Yeah. Yeah. More cohesive. You got the face in the back also. <laughs> the face in the back looks very unimpressed. It's like, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> like, it's like, uh, I thought one of them was going to die. I mean, we maybe, paid for blood. Maybe this that's maybe that is the Sand Lord, because we know that Ellerin's whole thing began when he says the Sand Lord appeared to him. So maybe the Sand Lord's trying to get rid of Sand Mastery. I, I can propose this theory because you guys have read as much of this as I have now, so who freaking knows? Yeah, I mean, if the Sand Lord is autonomy, I mean, she could just be trying to stir things up, but I don't know. And so Kenton comes out and he's like, okay, let's can, can we just have that vote now? Uh, I've I've met your requirements. And I like the, the judge is like, I mean, it's not, it wouldn't really be proper. Somebody might decide to quibble over technicalities, cough, cough. And he's like, no, no, I promise. I won't argue. Whatever you you decide, I'll accept it. And the Lord General votes in favor of the DM. The Lord Merchant votes in favor of the DM. The Lord Farmer is like, um, I guess I vote in favor of the DM because he just heard Vay vote for the DM. <laughs> what was he going to do, though, if Vay didn't go before him? Right? That's the question. Yeah. Maybe he always waits because I don't think there's a specific order for them to vote. Mm. Yeah. Maybe the Lord Judge just knows him well enough that she knows to call they first. (laughs) 
the Lord Artisan is like, yep, uh, as long as long as they keep their promises, then I vote for them. Lady Mason okay. votes for them. And the Lord Admiral's like, um, I uh, uh, I vote wholeheartedly in favor of the DM wholeheartedly. <laughs> and can prove to the Lord Judge with uh, the Lord Merchant co- corroborating that, yes, they have uh, they've arranged for the DM's debts to be paid. And Kenton's like, I met all of your requirements, Lord Judge. So come on. And the Lord Judge is like, well, you know what? I'm not going to be the one to vote because I can't be impartial here. I am biased in the fav- in favor of the DM. So I decided to give my vote to someone else, and I wanted it to be the person most opposed to you of anyone that I knew so that if you could convince them, you would be able to prove to me that you could convince anyone to be on your side. So senior tracked ace, I give you my vote. And she's like, oh, my gosh, this is where I could, like, serve my god and eliminate sand mastery. But also, he saved my family's lives. Oh, no. What do I do? I have to remain true to the Sand Lord, right? And she she repeats what she said. It's like, I told you once that even if you saved my life, it would not blind me to your evil. But you saved something more important than that and did so respecting my terms. It hurts, but I vote in favor of the DM. And then Chris is like, oh, my gosh, Natisse told us we did it. Like, she has to get it translated before she knows what's going on. Like, Natisse translated that very quickly. I mean, she could have just been like, she voted in favor. Like, it did. you don't need to translate the whole thing, I guess. Yeah, sure. And so everyone's happy, and Kenton gets called in to see Dryl, who's already kind of recovering. And Dryl apologizes somewhat. And they both acknowledge that neither of them was the traitor. They each thought that the other one was the traitor, but neither of them was the traitor. And Dryl's like, and I was drying up. I was dehydrating way too fast in that arena. And Kenton's like, yeah, me too. There was only one guy who served the water in both cases. It was Ellerin. And once again, just like the Bayon scene, Kenton shows up and he's like, hey, Ellerin, so you're the traitor, huh? And he's like, yep, I sure am. <laughs> you <Yeah>. me. <laughs> it's like these people can't not tell the truth. It's like, oh, yeah, that was me. I did that. He, like, Kenton doesn't even start off with that. He's like, so tell me why you survived the attack a few months ago. And he does. He's not even trying to lie. He's like, oh, because the Kirstians didn't want to kill me. <laughs> and it wasn't the water that I poisoned. It was the bowl poisoned with this spice that accelerates dehydration and also makes people more more likely to act rashly and do things like overburn. Yeah. Poisoned by a bowl. What can you do? That's clever, so, though, because then if you weren't that person to dole out the water next time, suspicions off you. Yep. And Ellerin is the one who's been directing the assassins all this time, and he, just like Ace Ace uh, and Kenton had discussed earlier, this is a guy who was not raised in this religion, so he must have misread the thing about what days they could attack on. And he's like, why? Why, Ellerin? Why did you do this? And it turns out that Ellerin converted six months ago to this religion because the Sand Lord appeared to him. And so, yeah, I guess when God appears to you and tells you that uh, you're on the wrong side, then you're like, OK, maybe I'll listen. And so after that, he couldn't bring himself to use his powers because they're so evil. So he pretended that he overmastered and burned himself out. And Kenton's like, he pretended that he overmastered, but then uh, because most of the maestros were gone, they wouldn't pick up his lie. I don't know that anyone would know that he. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right, because if the maestros all knew that overmastering, I think. Yeah. I think maybe if you overmaster to one level, you get stronger. But maybe if you push it too far, you really do burn out. Or maybe the burnout is just really bullshit. I don't know. That's a good point. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, he's he's like, Ellerin, you've made things difficult. And Ellerin's like, well, I'll make them easier for you. A day has passed. I'm allowed to try again. And so he shoots at Kenton. Kenton sand ribbons him and kills him. Now he understands how it works. Yeah. Finally. Jeez. <laughs> been reading since then i guess and ace heard the end of the discussion outside she comes in and she's like no i heard what happened you were defending yourself i'm not gonna arrest you and he's like okay well uh, i know where to find a good bodyguard next time i need one and she's like no i have other things that i need to do and like he's like i understand i think i understand good luck may may the sand lord's peace go with you and then we get a chris entry about zokin that game that they play although it's not really about that that's just the title of it but she's discussing, like, you can have all of these ribbons, but really what you need in Sand Mastery is precision, especially because one ribbon or fewer ribbons uses so much less water than lots of ribbons. There's a time for brute force and a time for finesse. The trick is knowing when to use each. Two weeks later, there's a boat, Chris and Bayon and 
the remaining professor are on their way back to Darkseid, along with some barrels of white sand. And Hoyt is getting on the ship. We got brown hooded guitar guy going up the ramp. He's going to play them some merry tunes. Yep. So uh, it sounds like he's, he's, he's decided he's going to head to Darkseid. I wonder why. What's he going to get up to there? What was he up to on the day side, for that matter? This guy. And so Kenton is sending some some Sandmasters and these barrels of sand along with her to Darkseid to see if they can help in some way or if they can figure out if their powers can even work on Darkseid. And Kenton's like, remember, they're, they're only on loan. Maybe I'll visit in person to bring them back. And we find out that Kenton has chosen Dryle as his second in command. And Dryle's still not the biggest fan of Kenton, but he's like, it's hard for me to admit, but we need you here. And we cut to Ace, whose husband insists that they are going with Ace on wherever her pilgrimage leads her. We're back to the DM where they've allowed families in. There's the sound of children playing. And Drow's like, man, the old maestrals would hardly recognize this place. And Kenton's like, yeah, well, it's not their DM anymore. At the Hall of Judgment, we get a resolution of some kind about the election that's happening over in the other country. And the Akar, who was looking like they were going to get elected, but... Apparently, since the DM was saved, the uh, the Akar is losing his credibility, and so maybe the the head merchant or whatever will win after all. Another very small random difference is that throughout this whole book, in the original one, the Lord Judge is wearing white and she wears black every time in this one, and maybe maybe just to make her look more uh, potentially sinister, so but- that you you might think she was the bad guy. Well, when they had all the all the 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 Tai Shin lined up at the pit, the, when they're all standing in a line, it looked like they were all pretty much color coded, and the maestrals already wear white, so maybe uh, they yeah. gave her black just to look different. Good call. We also get as the Lord Judge is talking about like we should be grateful we grateful we averted a crisis. You got a face behind her in the clouds again. And then the last change, the epilogue is Hoyd singing a song on the ship. The song is completely different. It's it's an entirely different song from the one he sings, and I don't know why, but uh, actually, no. I suspect that I may know why. I think that they're trying to he he's decided to sneak in some some Cosmere Easter egg type references into this new song, but uh, that's just my suspicion. And we end the book, well, the the picture part of the book. There's another Chris entry, but we end the book with they're going to give Bayon the Sand Mastery Test because why not? You know, while while we're here, may as well. And Bayon's Sand Mastery test has the biggest reaction of anyone that we've seen so far. Even Dryle didn't have this giant plume of explosion of energy when he took the test. So presumably Bayon uh, is a very powerful Sand Master in the making. And he's amazed. She's like, are you all right? He's like, merely surprised, Duchess. Merely surprised. Yeah, nobody was expecting that. And then the final Chris entry is... I think this is supposed to be like the origin of her being interested in uh, uh, the arcane. In, she later calls herself an arcanist. And we made a joke that, that was, you know, like a like a <laughs> name, name of the wind, wind sort of thing. But she uh, she's talking here about the connections between sand mastery and the star carved and the way that power is invested by the sun or uh, by the the on either side, really the star on either side. And she's like, I feel like this is all connected. She also brings up the face that showed up, and she's apparently it's a frequently experienced phenomenon on Dayside. You see this face all over the place. And so she, she calls it uh, the world of the unseen. These things all pull at me like nothing I've ever studied. I already have dozens of experiments planned and designs for specialized instruments to aid me. So she's going to dive into trying to understand magic on Taldane. And as we know, eventually understand magic throughout the Cosmere. So... For a Chris origin story, that uh, that's not a bad place to end it. All right. So before we get into predicaments, because I don't know what you guys are going to predict, I will go ahead and establish that, as I've said before, next time we are moving into Warbreaker, which is on yet another new planet. What's the planet? I, the planet, which it, it, the name of the planet is not actually mentioned in the book, so it probably won't matter uh, when I tell you what the planet is called, because you wouldn't find out any other way. The planet is called Nalthus. Mm-hmm. And we have heard it mentioned once or twice before um, in passing. Like, one second. Mm, Nos Metal, right? They mention it? I think so. It's like they can't travel there or something. Is that the one they're talking no, about? No, you're right that they do mention it there, but that's not how they mention it. One second, and I will read the quote to you. This is when 
that is when they're mentioning it's like oh yeah travel to biendal has been completely upset that's four primary systems we can't visit without extreme danger the perpendicularities are no longer viable they never were good for mass transportation or commerce no matter how hard those fools on nalthus try hmm okay the other place that we've seen Nalthus mentioned was in the Ars Arcanum at the end of the Elantris 10th Anniversary Edition. And what it says is, how then is a practitioner of Aeon Dor initiated? It does not appear to be tied to family descent, as one finds on Skadriel, nor is it a specific shard's decision, as on Nalthus. Ooh. Even Taldane's and Vax's Ooh. methods do not seem to apply here. So, yes. So they've got a very active shard. Hmm. Potentially, yeah, that, that is kind of what it sounds like, right? Taldane and what was the other place? Vaxus? Va- Va- okay, so she says Taldanes with, you know, Taldane and an apostrophe S, and then Vaxes, which V-A-X apostrophe S. So possessive. Mm. So Vax is another planet entirely. Which uh, we have heard the, we've heard Vax one other time. And I don't know if you guys will recall that. I do not. That was secret history. And when we hear that is just as, as Vin... Holding preservation's power annihilates ruin's power. All of a sudden, a redheaded guy shows up who, uh, Addy, the person who was holding ruin's power, he runs his hand through his red hair, looks around, and then goes, Vax? And then Kelsier punches him in the face. So at the time, we weren't sure if he was talking about a person or a place or, or what he was talking about, but it appears that that is another planet. And he thought that wherever he ended up in this, in the the cognitive mm. realm on Skadriel, it looked kind of like Vax. Yeah. He so hard or, if he was. <laughs> yeah, or is or is Vax also the name of the shard on Vax? Oh, could be. Well, not the name of the shard, but the, the name of the shard person. Holder. I assume yeah. it's like shard yeah. holder. Yeah. So yes, that uh, that is a very um, those two mention of mentions of Nalthus are what we have so far. You get uh, Something very small to try to draw large conclusions from, if mm-hmm. you like. We're going to read the prologue and chapters one, two, and three of Warbreaker. Ooh, Warbreaker. Right, a new, new book. book. New book. New theme song. Man. Yeah, new yes, theme song. A new song that, um, and usually what I've done in the past was I, I would drop the, the song into the Discord before I announced what the new book was to let the Discord folks have a chance to guess based on the song what the new book was going to be. But I've already announced what the new book is, so mm-hmm. I may just uh, make them try to guess what the song's going to be. <laughs> Ooh. I said, yeah, we've been uh, talking about Warbreaker for a long time, so. Yeah. Yes. So. Richard, the thick book will be pleased. Yeah. Predigments. I don't know what you guys could try to predict, but we can't just skip the, the section entirely. So anything you want to predict, go for it. I, I mean, we could, but uh, shit on the spot. Uh, OK, I I don't know if uh, it's going to happen, but let's let's say maybe in Chris's travels through the Cosmere, because, you know, we have to assume she's going to show up more. Uh, she she might bring some of her sand guys with her. Maybe if she want like hell, like she could wind up. Uh, in Era 3, like, Autonomy has had a bit of a presence on Skadriel, so she could wind up there in Mistborn Era 3 with some Sandmasters, and they and they just start doing their thing there. Why not? I don't know. Because mm. maybe Autonomy's presence could still... There could still be lingering presence there that charges the sand. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, and that's assuming she hasn't found some other way in the intervening years to charge it, but yeah. True, true. Yeah, I, I don't have much. <laughs> I don't blame you. We've just ended an entire planet... Uh, story like where where are we gonna go yeah i don't know yeah i've, I've got nothing honestly <laughs> okay that's fair <laughs> hmm i think uh i think it would make more sense if if Bayon's now discovered that he has this power for him to go back to dayside and uh maybe not join the dm unless like they make him but like explore using it because i would assume that he's not he would know from living on the side of the world that he lived on that he's not star carved or whatever so like mm. it's not like the powers translate over if you're star carved you, you could also be a sand master like i wouldn't think that's how that works and so maybe he'll go back to dayside or maybe not bayon's a an interesting dude we're not always sure of his motivations right. besides duty you know so like that's kind of what i feel with on that Kenton and the DM, I mean, sounds like things are going to work out. Again, a little disappointed with, with Eric's ending. Don't really know 
where like that could go for him. It sounds like he's just going to be miserable the rest of his life, either that or he'll have a completely different personality. But maybe not. Maybe he'll maybe he'll be uh, he'll figure out a way to make himself happy doing what he's doing. And uh, other than that, I mean, I, we know Chris leaves her planet, so I guess she'll figure out a way to do that. Maybe she'll stumble into the cognitive realm, and that's how she kind of figures out about perpendicularities and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's all I got. I like the idea of Bayon as now we know like the potential to be a super powerful Sandmaster. He's gonna come to back to Dayside, and he's like, I want to be the Lord Maestral. I'm gonna challenge for leadership. Well, I didn't say that. I mean, he doesn't. No, have, I know that was just my thought because he's he so doesn't powerful. have the mustache of leadership or anything, you know. <laughs> well, Ken doesn't have a mustache. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, but he should. Okay, maybe he'll grow one by the time Bayon shows up. Where do we put Akron's body? We need to pull the mustache off. <laughs> <laughs> That guy did have a sweet stash. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is going to be a pretty short episode because we just recorded this one the day after we recorded the last one, which means that we've got no new emails, no new patrons yeah. or reviews or anything like that to go over. So, um, yeah, we're just going to – we're wrapping up Taldane. We, uh, we, we gave our thoughts, our overall thoughts pretty well on uh, how we felt about the comics, so we don't need to yeah. dwell on that really. Well – I'll, I'll I'll give it a rating because I rate everything. Oh, I'm that's true. Give yeah. This I'm gonna give this a six point five out of ten. That's not too bad. It was good. I liked it, but uh, it struggled certain places. Yeah. And uh, I get you guys be excited. Next time we're gonna have a whole new world, a whole new magic system to once again have to start over trying to wrap your brains around how the hell any of this works. So that'll be <laughs> I look fun. forward to I look forward to episode one. Once again, not knowing how to pronounce anyone's names. That will be <laughs> super fun. I think magic that's system. true. We don't I know th- if these names are straightforward or not. I want to say I think that the names in this one are going to be easier than uh, than so like a lot of Dave them. and you know not uh, not quite that easy, but uh, but Damn. not super complicated. That's that's what I that's what we need. We need a fantasy story where the main hero's character's name is Dave. <laughs> His best Dave. friend Larry. Yeah. <laughs> or Doug. Yeah, Doug. Get a Doug in there. Another day, another Doug. Another Doug. <laughs> <laughs> All hail um, King Ted. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think uh, I'm I'm interested to see to to see how Warbreaker goes and I will give you there if if I'm trying to classify the various books, I've said that you know like Final Empire is is a heist story, really, uh, or at least that's the way it starts out. That's kind of the heart of it. And then you've got we had Well of Ascension, which I feel like is kind of a political, maybe political thriller is the right word. Maybe not thriller. It's not that thrilling. Yeah, political Her- snoozer. Hero of Ages is definitely like a war book, a war movie. Cataclysmic it's, war movie it's, book. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. In my mind, and I don't know how, how much anyone else would agree with this, so you know, don't don't take it as rote. In my mind, Warbreaker is like a fairy tale. Mm. Ooh. And so uh, I'm gonna throw that out there now, and once we get to the end, you guys can say whether or not you agreed with me. But that's 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 what it is in my brain. The only thing I don't think I've agreed with you is when you were like, this this is a standalone story, and like most of them are like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> but Warbreaker is the only book in the series, so I guess it has to stand alone. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's talk about it at some point doing a sequel to Warbreaker, but uh, it's... So, uh, so what's the story of this one? It's, so it's available for free on his website, you said. Yep. Like, yep. Why? So, as I recall, the original thing, like, he wrote this book, like, publicly. Like, he, he would post it on his website or post chapters on his website and get feedback and do edits and stuff like that. So, like, it was kind of like a publicly written book if i remember right although this was before i started reading him so i might be misremembering that okay but uh and so let me see let me see let me see if there's when, information about why warbreaker is free and, and when did he do this is this pre mistborn is this uh warbreaker was okay let me let me see when warbreaker came out warbreaker first published 2009 which that, puts that's after it mistborn after mistborn for sure yes and Warbreaker also is going to have annotations, so we're back in annotation land. Oh! Okay, so he's got a thing. How this book came about. Warbreaker is something of an experiment for me. For a long time, I've wanted to release an ebook on my website. My first inclination was to grab one of my old unpublished books and offer it. And yet one of the main reasons for releasing said ebook would be for publicity reasons. I wanted something I could give away for free, which would show what I'm capable of writing and therefore hopefully encourage people to look into my other books. 
I figure if people give my books a try, they'll be hooked and read some of the other ones. So that made me want to offer something new, something that showed off the very best of my ability. Why offer an inferior product as a free sample? If it wasn't good enough to get published on its own, then wouldn't that lead people to think of my book of my books as inferior? And so he says that leads us to Warbreaker, my newest work as of and they wrote this as of 2009. It has been purchased by Tor, who gave me permission to try this experiment, and it will be published in hardcover in 2009. So I guess actually before that. I like to have a lot of contact with my fans, and as I contemplated releasing a new book on my website, I had a chance to do something rarely seen. I could release drafts of the book as I wrote them, allowing my readers to catch a glimpse of the writing process. They could see the evolution of the book, maybe even offer feedback on early drafts, allowing them to have a much closer connection to me as a writer and to this book in specific. By doing this, I could make Warbreaker a project which would engage my already existing readers as well as people who've never tried my books before. So that explains why in my brain I was like, oh, he like wrote this publicly. So he kind of did. Right. Interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And he goes on to say, like, here's the worries about this. First off, there's the perennial fear that I think all artists get when they give away art for free. A part of me worries that by giving away the book, it will sell dreadfully when it's released and poor sales could set a bad tempo for future books. I don't think this is like which. Yeah, I was about to say, which didn't end up happening to him. I mean, even at the convention, I saw so many people purchasing Warbreaker because they had like the nice covers and stuff. And I was like, huh, isn't that the one that's free? And I was like, oh, I guess people just like him enough that they're just going to purchase this book. He makes the point here. He's sorry. They they like him enough to go to his personal convention, I guess. Sure. Yeah. He makes the point here. It's like you can get books for free at the library anyway. So it's not like buying them has ever been the only route to reading a book and i'm not trying to recruit people to buy one book i'm trying to recruit lifelong fans who will still be reading brandon sanderson novel 20 years from now when was his first book published if this was 2009 ish uh, elantris was published in 2005 yeah okay so he's out there already he's probably still got some people who are interested in his books anyway but then gets a bunch more people in yeah uh, let's see, Mistborn. So this would have been I, this would have been right after Hero of Ages. Hero of Ages published October 20, 2008. So this would have been his next book after that. Hmm. Uh, when did he publish? Because he was also this would have been about around the time he was writing the finishing the Wheel of Time books. Uh, when did the last three of those publish? So 2009, 2010, and 2013 were the last three Wheel of Time books. So yeah, Gosh. this would have been right around the same time. I feel like, too, his publisher wouldn't have let him try the experiment if they didn't think they had a little gold mine there. Right, yeah. He wouldn't just have some nobody turn up to be like, yeah, this guy, if this, go, if this works, this pays dividends for us in the future. And probably particularly, I by this time, they would have already known that this is, and maybe the public wouldn't have, but they would know this is the guy who's going to finish this enormous uh, The Wheel of Time series, this huge series that there's tons of fans of. He's going to get a lot of heat on his name regardless so maybe they're like, you know, this is the time to to try an experiment like this. <laughs> we, we can afford to roll these dice. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I was skimming through the rest to see if there's anything else interesting. He ends with be like, he ends with saying, you know, most of all, I want to thank you for reading. I think the primary motivation of all artists is the desire to express themselves. My books are not complete until you read them and add your imagination to the events they contain. For me, sales are secondary to that. Enjoy. Brandon Sanderson, January 2008 is when he wrote this bit, I guess. So, yeah, so that, that's where that's, we're going. That's pre-Hero of Ages coming out then. Yeah, I'm sure that it was already written at that point. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, like written at like printing at the publishers, probably like, ready yeah. to go, but wasn't out. Oh, and then there's a whole page of like rights stuff where he's like, hey, you can share this book with anybody you like. You can print off copies for your personal use. Just don't try to sell it to somebody else. <laughs> Uh, there, There is, however, no derivative works clause on this because I don't want people adding chapters to the end or altering it and then trying to pass it around. That's probably fair. Yeah. OK. So, yes, that is uh, the, the if anyone after all we just talked about, if anyone wants to read along with us, hasn't read Warbreaker, doesn't own it, go out to his website on Brandon's website. There is a section under the online library tab called free fiction, and you can get several bits of free fiction, including this book. So go check it out. We are reading, as I said, prologue and the first three chapters. And I'm always excited when we get to start a new thing and a new magic system. And uh, you guys get to kind of try to feel out, like, what does this do? Because that's always one of the more interesting bits of his books for me. We don't have any new emails, but if you want to send us an email, the address is thesanderlanch at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram and Patreon, where I'm posting my first read-through of The Frugal Wizard's Handbook to Surviving Medieval England. So check that out. 
if you if you're interested in hearing me talk to myself for uh the they don't end up being too long really i'm doing three chapters each one and uh they usually end up after i've trimmed all the empty space out being like 10 minutes long i think one of them ended up being 20 i guess i had a lot to say that time but so they're, they're not a huge commitment either to try to listen to music by miracle of sound Thank you, everyone who's listened uh, through White Sand. I hope you guys enjoyed our coverage of this. I know it's it, it's been a different experience for all of us, and White Sand is probably, if there's something that a fan hasn't read, White Sand is high on that list of possibilities. So I know that for a lot of you, this was new. Maybe you listened to this without actually having read it and just went by uh, my oh-so-wonderful descriptions where I'm like, oh, man, look at what's happening in this one panel, which I know must have driven especially Jamie crazy because uh, I think Dak is holding the book most of the time and Jamie's in a different room, so she didn't get to hear those or look at the stuff. Yeah, every time. Sorry. <laughs> the bit where they were yeah, talking to be, to about be. when the, the whole color thing changed, I was like, did it? <laughs> that whole episode. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, now, to, sorry, to, sorry about to, that to, to Jamie and anyone else who is in the same boat. To be fair, <laughs> like the reason I'm the reason I'm normally holding the book is because I will often read like our next set of chapters as soon as we're finished recording because I'm just like I can't wait, I'm going now. And then Jamie reads them much later, usually like um the day before or the day of recording, so it's fresher in her mind. So I'm just like, well, I'm gonna carry along just in case there's anything I forgot. I have the memory of a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to establish an alternate story here where it's like Dak just doesn't allow Jamie to touch the books very often. He's like, oh, you have to check that out Mine. and sign a form. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, these are my own, my precious. Uh, so, yes, Joy, you, you guys have less reason than ever not to not to join us for this next book since you can get it for free. So. Please come back for next time. <laughs> just like throwing down the ultimatum to the fans. It's like, fucking read it with us, damn it. Yeah, you either read it with us or no. You have officially got no excuse. As to why you can't be yeah, with us on the no. <laughs> Yeah, some of the listeners, hopefully some of the listeners aren't illiterate because that would be a good excuse to not read it. If you can't read, uh, I would feel bad. Oh, yeah, the audiobook's probably not free. That's a good point. I've never tried to find the audiobook, but I assume that it costs money. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, everybody. We will see you next time for the prologue, the first three chapters of Warbreaker. And then after that, I think we've read almost everything that exists in the Cosmere except for the Stormlight stuff. So you can anticipate that we will be getting into Stormlight pretty quickly after I have Warbreaker. I have Warbreaker scheduled out at 15 episodes. Okay. Okay. We got, was it Warbreaker? Uh, Sorry, not Warbreaker. We got Stormlight, four books, Tress. And is there anything left in Arcanum Unbounded? There is one story in Arcanum Unbounded. Uh, well, if you don't mm. count the Stormlight stuff, because there's like two oh, or three sure. Stormlight no- novellas in there. Or there's yeah. one Storm, there's one Stormlight novella in Arcanum Unbounded. There was another one that's been published since, is, is the actual correct thing that I should say. But okay. there's one gotcha. story on a completely different planet that we haven't read yet in Arcanum Unbounded, and it is called Shadows for Silence in the Forests of Hell. Oh, that's right. Yes, I, have, I do remember that title, because every time you bring it up, we're just like, oh, that's an awesome title. Right, yeah, every time. So, yeah, other than Tress and Stormlight, and obviously by the time we're, we get to Stormlight, there will be two more secret projects out, uh, probably, or at least one. I, I don't want to do math on how many months 15 weeks is. But anyway, um, so, yeah, there's there, there's some there's still some stuff out there, but everyone has been eager for when we're going to get to Stormlight, and I couldn't hold off much longer if I wanted to. We're running out of other Cosmere stuff, so expect that pretty quickly. But thanks everybody and wasing to the time of next. Hold on. The desert has a soul. It's a-